Hello, everybody. Welcome to Clappercast, episode 56. I'm your host, Carson Tamar. Very, very tired today, but we're going to have fun today. Anyway, I'm joined by the lovely Nicolo Grosso. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing all right. I'm excited to talk about these movies today. And returning to the podcast, everyone, you don't need to unsubscribe. We have Alina Falds. How are you doing, Alina? I'm good. I'm happy I'm back. <laughs> today, so if you've been following the podcast... It's been a little bit rough for new releases. There's been some gems here and there. There's been some undeniably high points. But recently, there's been a lot of May films. So today on the podcast this week, we're taking a mental health week. We've all brought a recommendation to the table. um, And we are going to talk about them and hopefully talk about why we love film to a point. Um, And normally with recommendations, I start out because I don't know if everyone remembered to bring a recommendation so it gives time. But today I'm starting out because I'm the only one who seemingly brought like a positive film to the table. So let's start out on a positive note. Uh, Let's start out with Wes Anderson's 2018, I believe, Isle of Dogs. Um, uh, Since I'm starting, I'm just going to continue talking and I'm going to do the introduction. Um, It is about a young boy named Atari. Uh, he is lives in Japan in the future, and there's been an out, outbreak of all these diseases with dogs, apparently. So they all get sent over to this really shitty island called Trash Island. It's an island made out of trash. I wonder where they got the name for it. Um, he embarks on a quest to save his dog. At the same time, there's a lot of political um, turmoil, and it turns out maybe this whole situation isn't as bad as it seems. I love this film. I love Wes Anderson in general. Not that I think every film of his is like great. I actually think a remarkably few are. Um, but I think this is just lovely. I remember seeing it in theaters um, and like multiple times and crying the first time. And there's just something about this aesthetic and there's something so sweet and genuine about this film, uh, this relationship between a boy and these dogs. Um, and you have that mixed in, that like grounded sense of humanity mixed in with this larger than life, really fun world that they get to explore and this adventure they get to go on. And the whole very, very interesting and unique aesthetic with just stunning animation. Um, I love this one from like since day one I've seen it. So I do you guys like this one or am I the one, only one here who's going to like it? Um, I really like this movie. I also remember seeing it back, I think it was like in fall 2018 when I saw it at like a local indie cinema in Ottawa. And I remember seeing it super late at night at like 10 o'clock at night. And so I was like dead tired, but it was like the only time and I desperately wanted to see it. And I went by myself because no one was, my friends are the kind of people who like don't want to go watch movies at like 10 o'clock at night, which is fair because I'm the same way. But like, if I don't have a choice, I'll do it. Um, and I'm glad I like, made a trip out there and like scary bus ride home back. I think it was worth it. Um, I also really like Wes Anderson movies. I haven't seen all of them. I think I might be missing like two, but I've seen most of them. And I'm a big fan of his. Um, I prefer his like live action stuff, but like his animated stuff just has like a certain charm to it. And Isle of Dogs really lives up to that. I really like all of the like character designs. I think they're all like really unique and they just like look really cool. And like the little puppies so cute I don't know if that's spoilers but like you know when they like get fed and then they have those like teeny tiny bowls of food so freaking cute I like die (laughs) I I really like Isle of Dogs Um, I saw this too in the cinema when it came out it's actually one of the very 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 few movies I've been able to watch in like original language because everything is dubbed here in Italy uh, every single movie and it's super rare to actually watch something 
in their intended form. Uh, and this one was, it was like, a, again, a 10 p.m. screening actually, like you, Alina, and it, it was worth it. It really was worth it. Um, I think Wes Anderson is one of those weird directors where I, I really like most of his movies, but I don't consider him a personal favorite, which is weird. Um, but we'll probably get into that. But I, I, I think like you guys said everything, uh, like the aesthetic, wonderful, the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack to this movie. Alexandra Desplat has made some wonderful scores, but this one has just a different vibe and energy compared to the others. They're more sweeping and melodic. Instead, this one has drums, it has rhythm. It's very much inspired by the Toho movies from the 40s and 50s. They even reference them in the score. Um, it's just a joy. And like you were talking about Trash Island. <laughs> Rewatching it, I, I love all the movies, all all the names of the characters and places in this. It's just, it's the funniest thing. Oh, and my favorite one is Major Domo. That that one just makes me laugh. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the score is fantastic. I think this might be Wes Anderson or Alexander Desplat's like one of his best scores. I was actually really privileged at the screening I went to for this. I they had the guy who like helped him with the score with all the drum work. He is from San Diego and he's part of the local club here for like the drum thing. So they came and performed before the screening, which was really nice. It was really weird also having like a concert in a movie theater, but like it was good. Um, but no, I think, I mean, it's just, this is one of those films, like it's one, like I truly would consider it a comfort film. Like you mentioned, Nick, like every name, every moment, the puppies are adorable. The, the cast is incredible. Like it's just one of those films where just every part of it just screams either quirky fun or just pure like authentic joy which i think is one of the best parts about like wes anderson projects though it's not like a kid's film like i would definitely would not consider this a kid's film though i'm sure kids could have like a fine time but like you also have dogs fighting and like ripping each other's ears off it's just a very very like unique experience and i think this is speaking of wes anderson i think it's a weird it's really great but i think it's really weird coming in like his filmography it does feel a little bit i think simplified compared to like the grand Budapest or even moonrise kingdom which i don't think is even that good of a film or even fantastic mr fox but i think like looking between this and fantastic mr fox like yes wes anderson and live action is great him and animation hits different because he just has full control over the aesthetic and then once he has full control over the aesthetic then he can like have fun with the story and i don't think it's as good as fantastic mr fox i think that is one of his best films but yeah i just this is like a comfort food for me i find it interesting um you i i agree actually with everything you said it's it's one it's not a movie i would consider multi-layered and it doesn't even try to have that many like let's just explore multiple themes it's more multiple angles on the same um element of the same subject which is like animal rights compared also to human rights um, and it's weird. It's it's such a weird film, considering that this is an animated movie, which automatically and wrongfully so automatically is considered like for children, for for the babies. <laughs> and you're watching, it's like no, this is dark. This is it's fun, it's light, but there's also so many dark moments. I forgot there was the the year when I watched it. I was like, oh yeah, there's there's you see a severed ear in the first like ten minutes of the movie. And it never stops. It's, it's it always has this cause like people dying. <laughs> it's, it's it doesn't sugarcoat anything. But then again, it's never, it never also feels uh, mature or more than mature, like edgy, which is nice. Um, I, I don't know if I could, like, I think I do agree that they like Fantastic Mr. Fox more. I think that just on an emotional level, it's different. Um, with this one, I have problems mainly in 
with the subplots because there's like five different things going on at the same time here. And one that I still cannot get behind. I, I couldn't do it back then, I still can't now. It's uh, the Greta Gerwig activist student character. That's like the only one where I'm like, it kind of pads the movie out. I want to be more with the dogs and maybe even the scientists, you know, to get a bit a different perspective of just her character, the way it's written, like she falls in love with Tari. It's like, okay, sure. It's a, it's a cute kids film thing for a movie that doesn't necessarily need it. Um, and feelings didn't change watching that whole subplot again this time around. Um, but I, I do love the, the the voice work in this in general. I'm super happy I saw this with the original voice cast because it's, I think everyone fits, fits in a way that it's never distracting, which is hard. I think Fantastic Mr. Fox has a couple actors where it's like, okay, you can definitely recognize them easily. But here outside of maybe Scarlett Johansson, everyone else just fits right in. Um, I still feel like even Jeff Goldblum, I knew he was in this movie and I still couldn't recognize him up until the end, which is weird, so weird. Um, I feel like like this movie is like very dark for an animated movie, but I don't know, it feels like the theme is just so simplistic because there's just something like inherently pure of like the love between like a human and dog um, that there's just like not really a big way to like layer that. And yeah, I agree that a lot of the like side plots do kind of like pad out the film. I like most of them, but I agree with Nick that like the whole thing with like the Greta Gerwig characters, I didn't like her like at all. I feel like um, the assistant to the scientist could have like just done her role and like not have a romance with like Atari. Cause like the whole romance thing was like super unnecessary. And then the like scientist assistant, like I think that's like played by Yoko Ono could just like have done her that like there, there was no reason for that character to exist, I think. Yes, which is why I worry for the French dispatch, which is focusing on multiple stories just like this one. And I'm, he's not necessarily great with that. Um, I will say <laughs> this one, like I didn't think about it rewatching it, but watching it after, well, like during COVID and it's, you know, hopefully last few days, forgot about all like the disease and quarantine part and like getting a vaccine that was just like a lot and then also like the election and you know in America at least you know very interesting election we just had this one like felt very relevant which you know was in 2018 so good for it I guess staying relevant but a weird thing I also noticed this time around was how well it played in like today's context I don't know if you guys felt at all the same way about that but I certainly did (laughs) It feels, you know how the movie is like 20 years in the future? It feels like it's actually like two years in the future. And like like now, since it came out in 2018. Because like, yeah, as I, I forgot that like, there was that whole thing about like curing the dogs. I don't know why. I just like, I really liked this movie when I first saw it. And I really liked it again. But in the like three-ish years since I've seen it, I feel like I forgot most of it. Um, So it was nice revisiting it, especially since it's, plan on planning on revisiting like until we had this podcast and I don't know why that like happened like I don't know why I found it so forgettable because I really like it and I really like a lot of Wes Anderson's films but I feel like Grand Fest Hotel and like Moonrise Kingdom those are my two favorites person you're so wrong about Moonrise Kingdom but I feel like I just remember everything that happens in those movies and I have only seen them like once or twice so I don't know why there's something about this one that feels like forgettable 
Actually, that's that's actually a good point because I I feel the same. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember I remember pretty much everything about just Atari and the dogs. Everything else was just a blur for me. And I don't know if it's going to mm -hmm. last, but then I think about, especially the Royal, it's so weird. Like, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever, I think this might be the first Wes Anderson movie I've rewatched because all the others I've seen, except, except Bottle Rocket, which I'm still missing. Everyone else, everything else I've only seen once, but the Royal Tenenbaums and their Ginning Limited, those ones just, I remember beat for beat right now. And I think revisiting them is going to be incredibly familiar in a pleasant way. Um, I think I, I, I cannot really pinpoint what it is here. I think it is kind of overstuffed, maybe. Um, I think that's probably the only negative I have for, the, for it. It's just there's way too much going on and we could have cut some of it. Um, it also doesn't help that I've never been like an animal person because of allergies. In my family, there's a lot of allergies. So we couldn't have cats, we couldn't have dogs. So I've never had this kind of bond in a way where I kind of instantly connect with it, to it in a way with, with movies and stuff about it. Um, so it wasn't even particularly emotional for me. Uh, is, uh, uh, so my experience with Toy Story is your experience with I Love Dogs. Just I'm more harsh on Toy Story because <laughs> I, I didn't play with toys that much. So I was like, fuck these. I don't care. Who cares? They're plastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I had more toys than, than animals, for sure. I, I, I think the only, the only animal we actually had was a, a goldfish, I think. And it lasted one week. Oh, <laughs> That's a tragic <laughs> twist. Yes, yes. Just kind of one of those things, you know, you wake up one morning, it's like, why is it floating? <laughs> oh, okay. It's, Life it's and a, death. It's now sleeping. It. It's just sleeping. It's, it's doing a trick. Sleeping on the surface, no? you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do really love the cast. Um, it's so weird. It's so weird the people they got. And I know, actually, one last thing that I think it's important. Um, they, I, I love that this is a lot of it is in Japanese and it's grounded in that culture in a way that it, it never feels like it's um, cliched or stereotypical. It's very respectful and it just embraces everything, including the language. Like it forces you to read subtitles. It forces you to listen to translators and people and everything Atari is saying, the dogs don't understand and you don't either. And I love that. That's a bold choice. It's something that pretty much only Tarantino got away with in Inglourious Bastards. Other filmmakers find ways around it. And I think this is probably the closest we've had uh, on, a, on a bigger scale of, of like an author or someone because then you have movies like Minari that have done it as well. Yeah, it is interesting hearing about like and seeing how Wes Anderson represents a race here. Obviously, I think that's been like the biggest quote unquote issue or controversy of his career with after the Dar Darjeeling Limited and everything. But like, I remember this film once it was like coming out off the trailers. Everyone was like, oh, it's racist. It's horrible. Like, I really don't see that outside of the main character's name being named Atari, which like, yes, might not be like the most inspired choice in the world. Um, I, I feel like, it, it, like you said, it really does feel like it pays um, like respect and like it has a love for Japanese culture without appropriating it, without changing it. Um it really does seem like it is respectful in a way where I don't fully understand that controversy surrounding the film and which I am saying as a completely ignorant white guy, just to be very clear, but. Yeah, I don't know anything about Japanese culture, but like, I didn't feel like there was anything like negative about it. Um, 
what I was going to say is I feel like this whole thing about like portraying like the Japanese race and whatever I feel like this is why I don't like the Greta Gerwig character in this because she's like a white foreign exchange student from like fucking Cincinnati Ohio and it's just like shut up why are you becoming a political activist in like this like random Japanese town that you have like no stake in other than you have to like go to school here for a couple months like I don't understand why it had to be like that character in particular because literally any other person could have fulfilled her role like there was no reason for her to be white and I feel like it just kind of like delves into like white savior category when like Atari was doing just fine yeah and and it's it's not even used in a self-aware way it's never like oh Mm -hmm. we're just poking fun at it it's like well that's the it's actually the cliched character um yeah she really is just the worst fuck this character she's horrible (laughs) she's not and she has an afro yeah, she's the worst <laughs> she's part of the film. Like, <laughs> it's so false. <laughs> and the role, I, I still can't. Just, she just loves Atari because why not? And in the end, they're together because she's she likes what he's doing. Okay, fine. I'll get it. I get it. Yeah, it's, it's a waste. Yeah. I mean, it's a waste of a character. Mm-hmm. Especially when all the other characters are like pretty well developed. Like all of the dogs have like very like distinct personalities and I like they all had like a role in their like little alpha group um yeah I don't know it's it's literally just that one thing about this movie that bothers me and I feel like I wasn't bothered about it the first time I watched it three years ago but like or maybe I was and I just forgot but it's it's just something that I cannot stand about this movie it's the one thing that kind of ruins it I guess if you look past this character then like the movie's great but like that whole thing just really brings it down in my opinion she also is like the one character who's just kind of there like everyone else has a backstory even all the dogs like i love when you get introduced and like the ones from a baseball team and like they all have their little things that they're part of and she's just like no i'm just a foreign exchange student here it's just everyone else has more such a bigger purpose both in like the development of their character and also the plot itself it really does feel like she's just the odd mm-hmm. one out I, I love Greta Gerwig, but I don't need her in every me, film. Yeah, but, like, the thing that's confusing to me is, like, she's a foreign exchange student, but she has, like, a dog in Japan. Like, Scarlett Johansson's, like, dog is her dog. Like, so I'm just, like, when did she get the Scarlett Johansson dog? How long has she been a foreign exchange student in Japan? They never say. Like, most foreign exchange students are only there for, like, a semester and, like, at least when I went to high school, it was like a semester or maybe a full year. It was never for God knows how long. It's just very confusing. I don't understand it. And like, if you're on an exchange somewhere, why the fuck would you adopt a dog? I'm confused. Like, did she bring it from America? I want it. Why didn't Wes Anderson tell us these things? She was like a model dog as well. Used for like super pretty. Worked in a circus Mm -hmm. or trained for a circus at least. Yeah. I think she was a show dog. Yeah. It's weird. The more I think about it, the more it bothers me. (laughs) I mean, if you're a young girl in Japan and you see a cute dog and you have the option to adopt a dog, I mean, I would adopt the dog. (laughs) Like, do you think her, you know how like foreign exchange students like stay with a family, her family, her like random Japanese family, like let her adopt a dog. It's weird. Yeah. It doesn't make sense in the real world, but I guess this is not the real world. Also, if it was her enough. family's dog, it's weird for it to be like her dog. Oh, yeah, I don't know. 
that doesn't really add up yeah yeah like you'd think if it was a family dog it would have stayed in fucking Ohio and not ended up on this like trash island and also I feel like I don't I don't know how like diplomatic relations and stuff work but like I feel like if I was like an American citizen in like Japan and like Japanese officials took my dog I'd be like yo American embassy what the fuck I think it's there's plot holes in this there would have been a (laughs) full-fledged war over trash island that's what I'm saying. Also, why you definitely let's be clear, they wouldn't keep them exile, they would just shoot all the dogs. Just if it was the real world. Just dump them in the water. I remember there were stories when like specifically from Wuhan at first, like how they had to leave their dogs or they would like take their dogs and kill them because they thought it could transmit the disease. Um like I would not I would not have been surprised in the past year if like America or whoever is just like, hey guys, we're not doing the dog thing anymore. We're gonna send them to like Hawaii. Fuck them. Would not have been shocked. Just send trash food to them. Just also, the waste. Trash Island's just like very gross, but in a very aesthetically pleasing way, which is a bit confusing because like from an emotion standpoint, because it's literally like they're just eating trash. But like the trash looks kind of like cool, and they're eating like toxic water, and it's just dr- or drinking, I guess I should say. And it's just like, I don't know. I Yeah, I like the visuals of this movie a lot. I think like that's high key, like the saviors, like the best part about it is the animation. It's, I love mm. the use of colors. I love the use of shadows. It looks so, like for being stop motion, it looks so fluid at times. Like the sumo wrestling, I'm always amazed at that scene, just how like good it looks. It's a really well done it, film. <laughs> even the eyes, that's, there's so many close-ups of the dogs. You know, just feeling the emotions, which which is so hard to achieve, especially in puppets. And they did a wonderful job. Like I cannot imagine how long it took them to make it. I think over two years at least, because it's it's, it's outstanding. It's just crazy. You know, it's interesting. In like Japan, they have like a lot of little islands off their coast. Apparently, there's one with cats, and apparently there's like one ones with like random other animals too. But I feel like Wes Anderson must have been like ex- inspired by that like weird phenomenon because like people just will like dump domesticated like pets and then they like become feral or something it's very odd um that they would send the dogs to like a trash island but I guess it happens to just be the closest one to that city it's just a like I feel like they could have just sent them to I don't know like a nice forest place and let the dogs just like die out peacefully or something yeah that city makes odd choices in their politics Side note, speaking of animals on islands, I really want to visit the Pig Island. I don't know where in the world it is, but there's an island where you can go swimming with pigs. Oh, it's in the Bahamas. Yeah, I want to go to that okay, so I'm gonna, bad. I might burst your bubble a little bit, but like the thing, the problem no. with those islands is like the animals are there, but they're not like taken care of. So like, well, they're wild, they aren't they? They rely on like tourists to feed. Them. No, because they're like they're they're not wild. These aren't wild so pigs. They, like, <laughs> No, they're like domesticated pigs, but like they became feral. The same thing with the rabbits and, and cats and whatever in Japan. Like they just happen to like get loose and like um, mate and whatever and like produce a bunch of babies, but they're not like taken care of. The people that like take you on those like boat tours, they like just pay themselves. You're not like paying to feed the like animals. So I feel like if those like places gave the animals like proper like vet care and things like that, it would be fine. But um, there's a rumor in the like pig islands in the Bahamas that the people will like kill the pigs 
and then the stuff you're feeding the pigs. Pigs. <laughs> no, like, I don't know. Yeah, Why I'm sorry you? for ruining it for no, you. No, I can't go swimming with because pigs. I, <laughs> listen, if they take care of the animals properly, fine. It's like swimming with like stingrays in the wild. That's fine. But these animals are fucking domesticated. They're feral. There's a difference between feral and wild. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I they feed them the other pigs. That it's all fun and games. <laughs> Yes, because or else the island would be overpopulated with pigs and they would just like kill each other. They like thin out the population. The thing is really sad, but it's true. Yeah, there's like, tw- I was reading there's like 20, 21 pigs at a time on the island. So mm-hmm. you know, they can keep that number short. Babies, where do they go? It's a fucking island, Carson. <laughs> it looks so hey, but happy. it's 210 a person to get there. <laughs> It's, it's cheap, relatively mm-hmm. cheap, all things considered. Well, so. I don't blame them. They're not happy. They're just like, oh my god, I haven't eaten in a week. And That's why they're swimming. They're trying to swim away. Yeah. <laughs> really sad when you actually know the stuff behind it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. I mean, I love pigs. The- That's the sequel. Wes Anderson gets it. God. I don't want to see him. He would actually like murder a pig and then like feed it on the animation. Yikes. Um, do the other, like, are the cat islands okay to visit? Or, like, or do we have to stay away from all these animal islands? Um, I feel like the pig island is the worst. Okay. The, like, cat and rabbit ones, they, they don't really have veterinary care either. I, I don't know. The problem with it is, like, you... I don't know the word for it, but, like, there's no, like, right answer. Because, like, without tourists, those animals wouldn't be fed. Mm. But at the same time, you're, like, supporting the bad things happening to them by going there. Like, I don't know. If they just had the money to, like, have vet care for those animals or, like, I don't know, sterilize some of them or something, that would help a lot. Because, like, the rabbit island, for example, the grass is, like, super, super overgrazed because there's so many fucking rabbits. But they don't have anything to eat unless tourists bring them food because it's overgrazed. It's, yeah. So like you can't win with any of these things, unfortunately. Like you could go if, and I don't, I don't know. No, right I answer, can't. Honestly. I can't go now. There isn't one. No, I can't. Or you can just now. buy your own yeah. pig and go to the beach with him or her. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the recreated experience. It's very easy to acquire rescue pigs. Because you know how pets. like teacup pigs and mini pigs are a thing. Yeah, like people get like tea, teacup pigs and like mini pigs and not realizing that pigs still grow to like hundreds of pounds. So it's very common to get like rescue pigs that you could for sure. They're very smart, very personable. I've anyway, this was a like, tangent. Yeah, well, yeah. we need to make sure people know apparently on our movie podcast not to go swim yeah. with pigs because they're cannibals technically. <laughs> <laughs> they're for- I just, it's like- forced cannibalism. <laughs> You should at least be like aware before you make the choice to do it. I just feel like people like do those things are like ignorant to what is actually happening. I don't know. You know, really, the I white girls like who went to Firefest like, were ignorant. Shocked. Yeah. What a anyway, that that is my tangent about like weird feral animal islands that Isle of Dogs seems to be inspired by. Well, Lena. At least the fucking dogs in Isle of Dogs had trash sheet. These poor little guys have nothing but well, tourist food. Rumor has it there are cannibal dogs, so you know. Oh god. Luckily, I don't think it was forced. Mm-hmm. Well, Alina, that brought me a lot of pain, 
But you know what else brought me a lot of pain? Your recommendation this week. Why don't you go ahead and introduce it? Okay, so I <laughs> I picked Pain and Glory, which is the Pedro Almodovar film. I'm so sorry, Spanish speakers. I don't know how to say it, any of their names properly. Um, this came out in like 2019. And at the time, it was my second favorite movie, 2019, because I really liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But like, this is fucking better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And because it was a foreign film, and because Parasite came out this, that same year or whatever, it just did not get the recognition it deserved. It pisses me off. I love Joaquin Phoenix, but it pisses me off that Antonio Banderas did not win the Best Actor Oscar for this, because he should have. Um, anyway, it's like kind of autobiographical about Pedro Almodovar's life and like Antonio Banderas plays like a version of Pedro called Salvador Mayo and he's like a Spanish director um, and he's like old and he's just going through a creative crisis. Uh, he has like a lot of like health issues and like pain whatever um, and there's like uh, a like local movie theater in like Madrid where he lives is like playing a movie that he made um that he like doesn't like but everyone else likes um because he had like a falling out with like the lead actor in it because the lead actor was like using heroin he's like oh you affected the performance um they become friends they put on a play it's cute one of like Antonio Banderas's long lost lover appears I don't know I just freaking love this movie like it's sad but like it's just so tender and beautiful and the reason I picked it is I just feel like not enough people saw it and it pisses me off that not enough people thought. Like, it's a shame when really good movies get, like, overshadowed by things that, like, aren't as good. Like, I feel like this is better than Parasite. That's a hot take, but wow. I like it better than Parasite. Yeah. Bombs. I, wa- I went into mm-hmm. this film completely blind when I saw it. 2019, yeah, that's what it, when it came out. Went to it completely blind and was just, like, floored by it and stunned. And I agreed with you. I was like, how is not more, like how aren't more people talking about this film? There are some scenes in this film of just like silence of just characters staring at other characters that just like, it's such tremendous emotion and you can just like feel whatever emotion's supposed to be, whether it is desire or pain or sadness. Like this movie is so emotionally competent. It is almost scary. This is also my first Pedro Almodovar film. I'm worse than you pronouncing it. So, hey, don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, I just think this is like stunning in nearly every aspect. I will say quickly, my fa- one of my favorite things about this film is the letterbox review for my friend Allison M. Love her. She does the vegan reviews or the vegan uh, warnings. But in this one, her last note is drug note. There's a ton of heroin use in this film. I do think that's really funny, though. Very, you know, valid, Allison. Love you. Um, but, you know, I-, I love this film. I think it's stunning and I'm happy you picked it because I'm happy I got to revisit this uh, I would say masterpiece. It, it might be controversial in a way um, for people who really love Pedro Almodovar, which is super, but basically what you guys said, so it's good. It's cool. Um, but this is probably my favorite movie of his. Um, I've seen half of his filmography of his feature movies and and revisiting this one is, is just, it's different. He's an incredibly melodramatic director. I don't know if you guys have seen some of his other movies, like uh, Talk to Her and All About My Mother. That's the only one I've seen. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's very heightened emotions. It's this music, the swelling and mm-hmm. everything, and it's screaming. And it's, it's, it's a classic, almost parody in a way of soap operas, but very earnest. And this one, it's 
it's exactly what Carson said and what you said, Alina. It's just, it's tender, it's quiet, um, it's subdued, it's self-reflective. It's, it's, it's astonishing. Uh, I, I do love the director quite a lot, but the way he tackles, um, I look back on his life, on his career, in a way that's also very fictionalized, it's it's beautiful. It's 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 about the power of cinema as a of filmmaking actually as a way to to cope with life, to understand everything that that you've that you've lived through, um, to find solace, to find catharsis of sorts. And there's so many wonderful moments in this. And just the the interaction that one scene when uh, Antonio Banderas is meeting with his uh, old lover, I. I would probably say this is my favorite scene in any of Almodovar's movies. It's such, it's a wonderful combination of just acting, directing, and writing. It just brilliantly comes together, and it's it's ex on exactly the right level that it needed to be. Um, it, it gets me emotional. I, it's, it's an incredibly powerful movie, and I and that, and that's why it was. <laughs> I do love Parasite a lot uh, for different reasons to this, but that's why kind of I've just lost interest in award shows because I was something like this and like this with everything like just just the colors the colors the cinematography Amadover has always been incredibly colorful but here it's just beautiful from the clothing to the contrast between each, each different character how they're dressed and the sets just magnificent and the soundtrack too it's oh I, I, I listen to it I listen to it on a regular basis I have like 10, 12 uh, soundtracks of movies that I listen to a lot. And this is one of them. And I, I, I think it's spectacular. I genuinely think this is like a five-star masterpiece for me. You know what's crazy is how casual it is in everything it accomplishes. Like you mentioned the color, mm. the cinematography, and like the artistry. You can say the same for a lot of the emotions, a lot of the performance by Antonio Banderas, who's giving like maybe one of the best performances of his career. Most of it, 95% of it is super casual. This is not a film that like, you know, has these loud screaming emotions or these incredible like aesthetic that really feels like it just kind of captures the natural world in this magical way that is like wildly impressive. It, it every time like every time I or I think about this film or I think about or I talk about an aspect of this film like I just find myself getting more and more just like blown away by it. It's it's incredible. <laughs> I just love Antonio Banderas's green leather jacket. Like that just is impeccable. Like and his like little red turtleneck. I love it. Like the movie's gorgeous. The even like the flashback scenes when he's like a little kid and like growing up in like Paterna. And he lives in like a fucking cave. Even the cave, it's just so pretty. Everything about this movie is just beautiful. And yeah, Antonio Banderas is definitely like the best actor in this, but everyone else in it is so good too. Like the, oh my God, I don't remember any of the actors' names and they're too Spanish for me to say, honestly. Um, but like the guy who plays Alberto, like the the actor, he's so good. Especially when he's like putting on that like play I'm just like, I was just so blown away by him. Um, Penelope Cruz is really great in this as like um, his mother in like their childhood years. And like just the guy who plays Federico is just so, I freaking love this movie. Everything about it is perfect. It deserves, watch this movie if you haven't watched it. You, you're kidding yourself if you haven't watched this. I also feel like it's very interesting to watch when like, I feel like most of us, I guess, haven't don't really like know anything about like Pedro Almodovar's like actual life like this was the first movie of his that I've like seen I didn't know who he was before I watched it 
Um, I like happened to go and see it because I was like, hey, like Antonio Banderas, I'll go and watch this. And I was just like, same thing with Cars, and I didn't know what I was like getting into when I watched this, and it just fucking floored me. Um, and yeah, I've seen like talk to her since then. That's the only one I've seen since, and it was just it's not the same as this one. So I, I still want to like visit some of his other things, but I feel like I just talked to her. It did, but it's just fucked up. And I feel like I just couldn't really get past that. But Pain and Glory, it's just like, there's no problems to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very, it's an outlier in his career. That's that's the interesting thing. It's become, for, for many, it's become the, the first Almodovar. It was not te- technically, I can consider it, it's technically, I consider it his first, uh, my first of his, mainly because I, I wanted to watch it, but I wanted to go in knowing a little bit of Almodovar. So I watched like four or five of his movies before that, and then I've seen a few others since. Um, but it's it's in, it's impressive. Uh, it's, it really does feel very different. It feels very much like his movie, but way different from all the others. And actually, um, talk to her, I don't particularly like. Um, I think, I, w- I want to say overrated, I have to go back to it, but I, I had a lot of problems with that, but oh, a lot of problems. Um, but it's, it's, mm, it's, it's so nuanced which is something that he's not known for. So it's interesting going into his career in filmography with this one, you get an entirely different idea of who he is as a director. And actually something, uh, because I was wondering how much of this is autobiographical actually. And I looked up an interview with Almodovar himself, where he was talking about like, you know, some some like thoughts, a lot of thoughts are personal, but like the story of the kid is a bit different from mine. Uh, a lot of other parts are different, and especially he's really, really happy that people believe it's actually autobiographical because he says that now everyone thinks he's actually as sick <laughs> and as ill as Antonio Banderas's character. And so they're always very tender and like good to him, like, how are, how are you doing? Is everything okay? <laughs> just, <laughs> I love that idea, just people people being nicer to him, thinking he's just dying <laughs> in many ways, just broken bones and everything, just collapsing as a person in the body. Oh, that's fun. I mean, this is a little bit more digestible and you, I think you would come away with this a little bit more positive on the, the director as a human than like the skin you live in or whatever that's called. So like, oh, know, yes, t- mm-hmm. take it, take it or leave it. Um, also, I think this movie is just wonderful because it's very, very gay. And there's that one scene where the kid is like watching the guy and literally every time I watch it, I'm just like, King, happy pride month. We get it. We stand. I see you. I love it. I, I I love the pay. I just yeah. I, I'm not normally a person who's like obsessed with acting or anything, but just rewatching this, the interaction between I said this before, but just I love that scene, and it's all about the eyes of of both of both of them, of both Antonio Banderas and Leonardo Sbaraglia. It's uh, there's there's that one moment where he's like asking questions to him in a way that he doesn't want to pry into his personal life. And you see, like, okay, he's, he's married, he's with someone. Just, okay, there's no chance. But, oh, but actually, he's leaving her. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's a chance. Maybe there might be. And now he's, he's going on with his life. And this is how it has to be. And I find it incredibly poignant. Um, that's something that a lot of us never get. I mean, all three of us are very young. So there's time. There's life is still longish. But... But I, I know a lot of people who live with regrets, who live with like, oh, I never said this thing to someone. I never had that final moment. You never know when it's going to be the final moment. And I, I always get very emotional watching 
um, people who are aware that this is going to be their last time meeting and they're just putting everything on the table in a way that's genuine and that's heartfelt um, and, and that's something kind of like to achieve I think with life is just take every chance you can to to be honest with other people to find find some type of closure um, because otherwise you're going to keep on living not knowing just living with what ifs there's always what ifs and and this one gets it wonderfully well even with the uh, uh, with him finding the painting that was just roughly made on the carton of the cardboard box at the end I I, I love it I love it so much it's oh. dare I say a little hot take about this I think speaking of 2019 international films that have this type of ending I think this one's a little bit more emotional than Portrait of a Lady on Fire I think that one's fantastic mm. its own route but these are two very similar endings <laughs> But I think that one, this one's a little bit, a little bit more uh, powerful. It's more subdued as well. Wow. <laughs> like I already said, this is better than Parasite. Our yeah, mental, just, our mental health so, like, is Paras- turning us into enemies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Parasite and Portrait of the Lady on Fire, like those are two films that like have a fucking fan base. So. I don't know. I feel like every week we try and get ourselves canceled. Maybe if they had taste, they would be pain and glory stands, but you know, who knows? No, I, th- I mean, I think all three films yeah. are fantastic, to be clear. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's interesting and considering like when... how... Sorry. I was just going to say, when Federico and Salvador finally kiss, I'm like, so good. That's all I want. It's like top 10 kisses. It's like top 10 kisses it's in a good cinema, kiss. Honestly. You feel history. There's there's history there. It's, there's emotions contained. It's it's uh, uh, yeah, and it's 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 fun considering like especially the ending of Portrait, which is similar in a way to just the closure aspect of everything. Um, they're like two sides of the same coin, or just a two, two completely different ends of the spectrum. Like that one is the punch. It's it's like the music, the close up, the crying. It's the release. Instead, in this one, everything is inside. And I, I like, um, I was reading a, a bunch of reviews earlier of the film, and it's, it's just wonderful to see people finding the ending to be almost kind of a, a twist of sorts, or like this gut punch of emotions, where it's, I, I never felt, found it to be that, um, but it still works in so many on so many levels. Um, it's meta, it's it changes everything that came before it in a way that's that's not like groundbreaking. It's, it doesn't shake the foundations of the movie as some people have described it, which makes me wonder what they took from everything else in this film, but doesn't matter. It's, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's relatively hard to find, I think, um, which is unfortunate. I don't know about physical releases, but I managed to watch this because it's a movie. Uh, in very, very few countries, actually. Um, in the UK, they did a whole retrospective last year on Almodovar, which is why I, found, I watched a lot of these other movies that are very, very hard to find. Um, and this one, again, I don't know why it, it hasn't really lasted in the conversation. I have this theory that since, like for me, La La Land was kind of the last big movie that everyone hyped and had this massive, like, everyone keeps talking about it. 
and maybe Parasite is the only other one because every time now just movies come out and everyone's obsessed with them. And as soon as the award season or whatever is finished, done, gone, never existed. Even though it feels like, like it, it felt to me like everyone was watching this, but actually no. I think <laughs> when it came out. I think Parasite and Call Me By Your Name both, I would say, after La La Land. But I say I definitely yeah. see it's getting reduced, the number of films like that. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's all about championing. It's all about yeah. like the, the champion. It's, it's, it's Portrait. We've chosen Portrait and Lighthouse and Kanka Gems and Parasite for 2019. And everything else doesn't really matter. Maybe you watch it, you like it, but then it doesn't matter. There's, there's no memes. You cannot make memes <laughs> from Pain and Glory. I mean, the ironic, the ironic yeah. part is like no one watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire, so that's funny. Um, I mean, even like Promising Young Woman, if you cut to, I don't even know how long ago the Oscars were, but let's say the week of the Oscars, like that film was everyone on film Twitter's like identity. And I was just, I, I don't see Promising Young Woman discussed at all. Mm. Very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I happen to see in Canada, this, uh, oh my God, words. In Canada, Pain and Glory is on, I only found it on Canopy, which is like for streaming, which is like that weird streaming service that you can like access with a fucking like public library card. So use your public library, there's rad stuff there. <laughs> my public library doesn't uh, use yeah. Canopy and my uh, university has a shit selection on Canopy. So <laughs> mm-hmm. luckily the Criterion channel comes through most of the time. I think in America it's available if you have like the stars extension for Hulu or Amazon or whatever, you also can buy it. Um, but it doesn't mean you can rent it online, which is very strange. But mm. I mean, it's a film I think mm. is worthy to buy at least. So that's good. Yeah, I think I think people should definitely own this one. Um, and actually, one of the, like we always get movies super late here in Italy and dubbed and whatever. But one of the few filmmakers whose movies arrive very early every single time it's Pedro Almodovar. Um, even recently, the I don't want to say the human condition, but like the, the new one, the, the medium, the human voice. Thank you, the medium length movie. I saw that in Venice, but they actually they're actually screening it in cinemas, and it's still going. It's been a month, and it's still going, which is insane to me. Like people are going to watch a 30-minute Pedro Almodovar Tilda Swinton starring medium length film. And I don't know. It's it's kind of weird that it's so beloved here. But I'll take it. I'll take it. At least it's one of the few filmmakers that still gets love. I believe it showed for a week here in theaters. Now it's on HBO Max and but um I haven't seen it yet. But yeah. I'm happy that this really is a film. I feel like a bunch of foreign directors have that like one film, even if it's later in his career, and maybe it's not like the best film you could even say, but like where it puts him in the mainstream and then everything afterwards. Now we're seeing with Bong Joon-ho, I would say that accounts for um, Celine Scamander with After Portrait. You know, like there's all these names I think this really does, even if it doesn't necessarily get the same amount of like mainstream attention as Portrait or Parasite. I think this really propelled him to where like now people know who he is. Now people care when he puts out a film. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of horrible, horrible elitism and uh, um, gatekeeping going on right now with the can lineup. Um, even so, someone I know, I'm not going to, my name I'm not going to mention, um, uh, was very upset about people being excited for some movies like the Apicha Pong one 
because they know nothing about a picture pong. I was like, no, but that's good. It's good that people are excited for it because they're going to go back to his movies. It's not wrong. <laughs> Why aren't people allowed to be excited for a picture pong where I to a movie? And that's the same for Pain and Glory. I know some people who are like, that's the mainstream one. Everyone's seen Pain and Glory. So it automatically loses value. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good if someone watches it and it's like, I want to see more from this guy and actually ends up watching like talk to her or the skinny living or others. It's 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 wonderful. I think that's the power, like you said, of those mainstream, more appealing, more commercially viable, I don't know, movies of auteurs that can change, mm-hmm. change their future and make it more palatable to a wider audience. I love it. Um, and I think we're going to see that we can this year for a lot of movies because there's a bigger spotlight on it compared to the past. And it's all good for me. Like if, if something just makes people want to watch more movies, it's always good for me. So exactly. some people take it too seriously. Yeah, I happened to see Talk to Her in December when um, one of the indie theaters in Ottawa was like closing and they were doing like a final week of like their best ever stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, I would not have gone to see Talk to Her if I like hadn't already seen Pain and Glory because like it's a fucked up movie. I was like, I don't care about these like two dudes thirsting after girls in like a coma and then I watched it I was like that was like fucked up but I'm glad I've watched like another one of like Pedro's movies and I want to watch more of them if I like happen to come across them because honestly they're hard to find in Canada Nick I think you mentioned a really interesting point about Cannes I'm really excited to see like I know it's a little tangent I'm really excited to see the reactions from Cannes this year because like you mentioned they're now you know finally found relevance in the world right no one cared about Cannes before 2019 Um, but this year the lineup at least for now I know they're still announcing some stuff like it really doesn't have that many big names so we're gonna see when all the influencer go to uh, when all the influencers go to france and they see like the koganaga and they're gonna see like the sean baker films and the wes anderson films and then like are they gonna see the other movies or are they just gonna like leave france and be like bye we saw the three i'm very excited to see um the react i mean i'm terrified i don't know if i'm like i mean you know we'll see but i'm, I'm excited it looks like a good festival and I believe Hain yeah. and Glory debuted at Cannes, or was this a It did. Yeah. It did. So, you it know. can actually. We went so, um, Antonio Banderas, because I, I went there that year for the Three Days in Cannes initiative, which is which is fun. It's tiring as hell, but it was fun. Um, a nice reward for finishing university, the, the three-year bachelors. And it was insane. There's way too many people. Because, because Venice, it's an island. Like, it, Venice, it's, like it's the Lido. It's another island of the archipelago, kind of, of Venice. So you actually have to get there and there's nothing else. So you're either there for the festival or nothing. Meanwhile, Cannes has the center. It has the beach. It has prestige. So it's full of people and there's the premieres and stuff. So I'm, I'm, I didn't want to go this year. I'm happy I'm not going because it's going to be hell for COVID, I believe. I'm not positive at all because the French have been terrible at handling the situation. But... Um, it's fun. It's fun. It's it's worth trying. And and again, you you always get these two types of people. You get the overly excited uh, beginner cinephiles, like I don't know any of these people, and I'm going mainly to the big names, and maybe I'll discover something else. And then you have the super massive snobs, or like I I only go to like the weirdest ones because at least no one's gonna watch them, and no one's gonna talk about them, and so I feel smarter and better than everyone. 
So it's it's, hey, a, it's a weird don't crowd. Need, you don't need to call out Jack like that, okay? It's rude. <laughs> it's mean. You should come to AFI Fest though, and it's literally downtown LA, Hollywood, like prime, like Hollywood Boulevard. So it's already just incredibly busy. Like the Jimmy Fallon show is next door. It's just incredibly busy, and it's just a film festival there, which is a lot. Yeah, I bet. I I think TIFF is nice. TIFF is nice because, like, you have the festival strip where most of the stuff is, and then there's like one or two three-ish that are like outside of the strip um and then it's in like right downtown Toronto so like if you'd like just don't happen to like have a movie to see you can go and do other shit when I went in 2019 um like I'd been quite a few times before but 2019 was the time when I like went for like a few days and like stayed and I was like deliberately there for TIFF like I just didn't drive up for one movie um, and I went to like the Royal Indian Museum and I went to the art gallery because like it's fucking hard to get tickets, man. And I saw some popular stuff and I saw some random shit because I just like got things that I happened to get tickets for. Like after I finished the movie, I would just go on the ticket thing and be like, oh, this is a movie I can buy. Let's go see it because everything else is sold out. So I don't know. That's how I operated at TIFF, which I guess is like a mix of both. It's just purely about what, what tickets were available. Yeah. That's the best way, I think. Just like... Yeah, you have no expectations. Yeah, it's always the best yeah. part. Yeah, I was like totally. I was by myself. Like I was staying with one of my cousins who's like thirty eight and like is a fancy banker. And she's like, okay, you. I was like, I think I was like twenty two or twenty three, and she just like let me stay in her condo, and I just kind of like bopped around Toronto by myself, and I didn't know what I was doing. So I don't know. It might be different if you go with, like with other people, because then like, you have to like dictate what like they want to see but yeah it's, it's nice going by yourself and kind of just just vibes yeah that's, no. that's what i did it too i went to if i felt completely alone it was very nice just like also dictating like oh i'm hungry i'm gonna go get food now because i want to or i'm gonna go see that screen or i'm not gonna go see it but like seems like you have a lot more fun at film festivals i'm just like i'm gonna see seven movies in one day and i'm eating ramen in the middle of a screening and just like i kind of low-key kill myself during film festivals but that's fine you can eat ramen during the film screening. Yeah. Oh. And I, I if I have 15 minutes before a film between films and I'm hungry, I'm gonna go get my ramen and then I'm gonna bring it into what was it? I think it was Cold War maybe. And I'm just gonna. Oh no, it was Capernaum. It was Capernaum. And I ate ramen <laughs> in the middle of Capernaum. And it was great. <laughs> great movie. Great. I just this completely legal here. Mm. Yeah. I need to go I Sundance. Off the no, continue. Is I I'm, oh I was just gonna say like when I was at TIFF I just fucking lived off Beyond Burgers because on the festival trip it's like all theaters and then like an A and W it's like a block over um and if I like wanted an actual dinner I had to like go on a trek to like an actual like vegan restaurant that that was my issue it's like I, I was limited so I couldn't even have the gun popcorn and they like check your bags in like some theaters so you can't even sneak in food so like a burger is like a very easy thing because you can just like hide it at the bottom of your little backpack yeah and I was like I'm not poor I'm at university I'm here for like days I can't afford a hotel that's what I'm saying with my cousin I can't buy goddamn popcorn when I'm paying $50 for a movie ticket <laughs> so oh, yeah. I just had I was buying $6 burgers instead of like $15 popcorn yeah that is one of my goals as a film critic is to get to Sundance because they have the iconic like free veggie burgers there and everyone talks every year about like how they just live off the free veggie burger stand and I just want to be there I want to be there apparently they're free (laughs) 
This is what I've heard. I've not been to Sundance, so I'm not, you know, first-hand experience, but I've heard from multiple people about I the guess that makes sense. veggie burgers. Because, like, it, Sundance is, like, way more isolated than most of them, I guess. Literally so. a small That's mountain nice. town, like, in the middle of, like, a blizzard most times, yeah. apparently. Mm-hmm. It's part of the appeal. God. Yeah. I don't it's know. I, setting. Yeah, I wonder if TIFF is going to happen because I feel like it could because Ontario is like really speeding up vaccine rollout. But who the fuck knows? Well, oh, you, 100%. I'm, I'm sure yeah. there'll be in-person elements. Because I, I, I was confused. Sundance announced yeah. that they're so also they going to be... they had drive and stuff. Got it. Because I know Sundance announced that this year they're going to be an online also. Like they might do both, but it will be online, which feels very like oh okay we're really i think the issue now with film festivals is they've all got a taste of what it means to be like mainstream because obviously when it's online everyone's just buying tickets right like it doesn't matter you don't need to get yourself to tiff or Mm -hmm. sundance or venice or whatever i don't know about venice i don't think they did online but um it's now the fact like from even like a money standpoint they have to look like well if we only do in person we're losing a ton of money we have the potential to make a shit ton of money by doing it online also so I think we're going to see, I feel like it's very hard for them to put like that back and go back to how it completely was. But mm. I'm hoping, I'm hoping at least one festival I can attend this year. That's like in person. Cause I love them. Yeah. I, I definitely think we're going to see a lot of online festivals or maybe like 50, 50, like some movies were actually going to screen online. Others not. I think BFI did that because it looked at the lineup and some movies that were like, no, Ammonite, Soul, like all of those are just in person yeah. and others you could watch online. Um, because it, it, I bet they made a lot of money. Like, we don't know the amounts. They're never going to release them. But I know quite a lot of people here who use VPNs and stuff to watch them um, buying the tickets. So it's not... I, I think, yeah, they had a, a big entry of dough to <laughs> sort of for this yeah. year. So I don't think they're going back. I don't think they will. Well, I'll say personally, I'm not a very big fan of that because I do like the theatrical experience. And Nick, your recommendation this week... Um, has to do with the theatrical experience. Do you want to introduce your film? Yes, my, my film is Cinema Paradiso, in Italian, Nuovo Cinema Paradiso. I don't know why they dropped the Nuovo, but this, this is a lovely, lovely film, um, released in 1988 by Giuseppe Tornatore, a director who's gone on to make a few English language movies as well, but this one will forever be um, his masterpiece, and one of the genuine masterpieces of Italian cinema. And one of the things that I always find funny is when you hear interviews of like Scorsese and uh, Tarantino going, oh, we, we love Italian cinema, massive influence and all of that. But it's always, it's always movies from the 40s, 50s, 60s, like that kind of era. Because Italian cinema has kind of died. Honestly, it really has. There's a few gems here and there that come out every three or four years. But other than that, it's, it's gone. And I would honestly say that Cinema Paradiso is the last, like it signaled the end of a sort of cinema, which fits perfectly well into this narrative about a young boy living in a town in the Southern Italy, where he's just loving going to the cinema as a young kid and he befriends the projectionist who's uh, an elderly man, very, very funny, very tender. They form a relationship and you see this kid become a young man and from a young man become an acclaimed director who's going back home to attend the funeral of the projectionist. And this movie is, is it's about cinema. It's about going to the movies, about making movies, it's about the emotions you feel. 
in this place, in the dark with other people, um, how it changes throughout your life, how you change your tastes, how other elements in your life um, dictate in a way what you like and what you don't like. It, and it's about life itself. It's about love. It's about um, art mirroring life and vice versa. And it's, it's one of those movies that um, shakes me truly does shake me to my core in ways that very few ever do. It's the, the uncut version, it's almost three hours long. And I, I, I never feel the, the length of it. I think that they did a horrible job editing this down for like two hours to have it be more marketable back then. I'm happy that those versions are really hard to get across to find because they, they're, they're, they, they remove so much soul and heart of this movie. And yeah, it's, uh, I would say it's almost a perfect movie for me. It's the type of movie that just hits me emotionally and never lets go. There's so many parts that just make me tear up. Uh, and I've seen it many times during my life. And especially I rewatched it last year um, during quarantine with a friend in the, when I was in the UK studying. And I'm not kidding, like the movie ended and we just didn't say anything for two hours or three hours as soon as it ended. Um, I, could, I could tell she was visibly shaken by it as well. Um, it makes you think about the choices in life that you made. It makes you think about the past. Um, and plus for me, there's the added Italian context. Like I've seen <laughs> villages like that. I've known people like some of the characters in this. Um, and I, I've, I, I've, I still know people who have, who have been unable to escape these environments. Um, that's something that's really, it's close to me every time I watch this, is how this man is kind of torn, the protagonist is torn between staying in the cities for love and for almost like duty to himself, to the family, to the projections, to the cinema itself. But the projectionist just tells him, no, just leave. Leave this behind because otherwise you're never going to leave this place. And when he comes back years later, you see all the same people there. And they know people like that. I know people who haven't been able to, to, to change their life. And it's also fine like that. It's not portrayed in a, in a negative way, which is wonderful as well. So, yeah, it's a, I've spoken enough. It's, it's a really, really good movie. It's just so sweet. I've never seen this movie, Cinema Paris, before, um, but I couldn't find the like uncut version. It's not a thing like in Canada, unless you know, unless you like buy it or something. And yeah, this is the one that's on Canopy. Um, Pain and Glory is on Crave, so I don't know. I watched all three of these movies back to back, so I forgot. Um, but yeah, they only had the like shortened version on, on Canopy, and I could not find the like uh extended one like not even to like rent so I don't know unless I like actually like bought the physical copy which I was not prepared for I usually watch all these movies like right before we start <laughs> so I I, should, I I I don't know I don't know what the fuck is wrong with Canada that we only have the short version um yeah I did read what was like missing um and I feel like if I had those missing versions I would have like liked certain parts of it better um, like I still really loved the movie, but like the portion when he was like a teenager just kind of like dragged to me. And like uh the whole romance with like Elena, I was like, I don't care about this. And then in the extended version, apparently 
that like gets like resolved but like you don't see that in this one it just like ends with the the funeral and I was like hmm. so I don't next right it's a it's a a lot of things like they cut out is just like weird and it does like change the movie a lot but yeah I I really like it because like it still has the um relationship between Salvador and Alfredo and that's like the heart of the movie and that's what matters the most um and I really really loved that but yeah I could not find the extended version <laughs> yeah Nick you're both an absolute saint and absolute asshole for choosing us to watch this film right now this is potentially and I've thought about this quite a bit the single best moment in human history to watch this film for the first time with the theaters being closed for over a year for you know me I didn't go back for Tenet I wasn't gonna give Nolan that credit um and seeing not just myself going back to theaters, but others going back to theaters. And literally, number one, this movie just for being itself had me in tears. I was literally just like crying over Alfredo and crying over this whole thing and just crying. But then I went on Letterboxd because also I love going to the theater and like, oh, it's been so great going to the theater. But then I went on Letterboxd and I saw all my friends talking about how much they love the theater because everyone in the, you know, your review for this, you just talk about like your local theater and how much that experience means to you. And seeing everyone like go back to the theater like you just saw the conjuring and I was just like a mess this is like art I love cinema I love this film this is like the first 10 minutes I was really worried because I really wasn't into it but then as soon as the relationship starts to get formed it's great I think the only complaint I have with this movie is how people are inside the actual theater itself if you're going to a movie with me with a screening please don't be like fucking a woman in it but um no I love this film like this was such like it's it's weird because it's a film about cinema but it's about so much more than cinema it's about passion it's about love it's about taking risks and following your dreams and following just your heart um and following your soul and you know it's just it's such an inspiring beautiful story um and then the just it's you know it's so heavy of emotions in so many different ways but i think the fact that i love cinema it lets you ground yourself and empathize with this character and not that it lives or dies with its love for cinema but it just elevates it so much more i really like i was stunned by this film i mean at 2 a.m i was just like <laughs> crying <laughs> so you know that's a good sign those those are the best emotions with this movie um i i, I think it's I, I've never seen the shorter cut, so I don't know how it changes emotionally, which is a shame, because it, the the whole relationship between him, like Salvatore and, and Elena, it's it's controversial, I know, but for some people it's like the more negative aspect of the movie. But I don't know if they actually saw the longer cut or not, so that's actually a good point, uh, because I thought she wasn't even present in it, so it's good to know she actually is in it a little bit. Um, but it's... Uh, it's, it's a, I think it's a good one. And, and, and something we haven't mentioned yet, uh, the Ennio the Morricone soundtrack, I think this is, this is one for the ages. He has he's had a, like one of the greatest careers ever in music compositions. But the main themes in this one are just out of this world, um, top five easily of his work. Uh, and this is another one of those soundtracks that I listen to regularly. <laughs> and it, it's, it gets me every time, just the shivers. Um, for the love theme especially, there's so many iconic moments in this that are just tied. Like it, it makes you think, like you said, Carson, just about your own experiences with cinema and how they're sometimes they're directly tied to going to the movies. Like something important happens in life and you watch a movie in the cinema, like maybe even the same day. And it's incredible. Uh, and the way that the cinema itself is a character, 
actor is fantastic. I was like, like you said, it becomes kind of like a brothel even at one point. People just going here and there, and young kids experiencing uh, um, interesting emotions in the theater. So it's 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 lovely. It's absolutely lovely. And the one part, I'm actually curious, like which part of the because it's it's three different acts, like very distinctly cut together. It's almost an hour long each as well, which is um, very well edited in that sense. But which one did you guys prefer? It's like the first one when he's a little kid, when he's a teenager, when he's when he goes going back at the end. Because for, for me, it's it's like if I had to pick, I'd probably go with the ending one, mainly because it's it's when everything culminates and it's kind of like this emotional gut punch that wrecks me like from the beginning, just when it gets to the square and you see the cinema is just died. It's just falling apart and going to demolish it. I'm really like, oh, no. And then he sees everyone and everyone's old, including the homeless man who's a bit sick. So like, oh. Then he sees his mother and he sees the love of his life. Let's see. And he sees the person who says, this is my square, and he sees everyone. Yeah, no, that I'd say the ending is my favorite out of the three. Though the kid, I agree, the teen version is the worst one. But, like, the kid is really yes. good. But I think on a rewatch, the kid one is going to be even better. So I don't know how no. that would be on a rewatch. But for now, I would say the ending, the last third. I liked the childhood portion the best because I liked the, like, developing relationship between Salvador and Alfredo. And I feel like in the shortened version, it's the longest. I can't remember. I didn't time it, obviously, but it felt like you were in his childhood for the longest point of it. And then the like teenage and adult sections are like way shorter comparatively. So, yeah, because a lot of it is about the, the girl. Yeah. So, if you remove a lot of yeah. that storyline, it's just an entire hour of the movie just cut. Uh, and they've done it. Yeah, it, 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 it like was something. The point... Yeah, sorry, go on. I was just going to say the points with the girl is like, just like meet, he sees her at the train station. They like meet at school. He said he's going to like wait under her like window and then she finds him. And then he like goes off to the army or whatever. And then she like happens to move away and like that's it. And I was like, okay, I don't understand the point of this then. Because like, from that that's all it was and in the longer version there's way more to it and I feel like if I didn't have all those like scenes missing I would have felt what they were going for way more yeah that's, that's something weird they've done for a few Italian movies actually in the 80s including uh, Once Upon a Time in America another movie that's gargantually long they were like no no that's too much let's make it two hours <laughs> it's like hey let's remove half of the movie mm-hmm. why don't you I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I know why they did it. Uh, just easier to sell, easier to show multiple times. But it loses so much. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Like, I know we complain a lot about length on this podcast, but like, if that was the original intention, just like stick to the original intention. Like, three hours is really not that long. Like, I think like four and five might be pushing it, but. Like it's, if, it's it's weird that it's such a thing that like the movie has to be two hours no it doesn't if it's done well and it's justified in the plot it mm-hmm. doesn't matter how long a movie is right mm-hmm. like that yeah. issue is when the time is mismanaged mm-hmm. and it feels like in this one that's not the case i, I know I'm, I'm mad that i couldn't find the extended version 
just hearing you guys talk about it. Cause like, I liked it, but I feel like I would have liked it a lot more if I had the proper one. Man, I hate Canada. It's also just like spending an extra hour with the characters makes you sink deeper into them, which is delightful in its own way. Um, and it's fascinating because this is one of the last, again, like going back to the, the end of everything, including the end of cinema in a way, how it changed after this and how it changes in the movie itself. Um, this is one of the last ones of Italian productions where they had like French speakers in major roles because uh, Philippe Noiret is the actor who played Alfredo and he didn't speak Italian and Jacques Perrin as well, which is the older Salvatore. He's another actor who's been in a lot of movies like Jacques Demy as well, if I'm not mistaken. So French legends who act in major roles here. Um, you can tell a lot of people are dubbed you can tell, like, especially if they even change dialogue, because sometimes it's like, those are Italians, but that's not what they're saying. <laughs> you can see by the lips. Um, it feels, I also think it was done on purpose, just to arken back to, to cinema and how it was back then. And again, like in the 80s, this is 88. This is when like we had all the all the big blockbusters. We had the Antenna Jones going strong and the Back to the Future and the Terminators and everything. Yeah, it's 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 the end of an era. It's the end of an era for cinema, for Italian cinema, for audiences. Um, I don't think we're ever gonna get go back to cinema being this almost ritual. And that's something that I've always liked. And it's something that I try to replicate if I can at home. It's like closing the blinds removing the phone and leaving it in another room on silent, just me and the screen and everything else is dark. That's the beauty of the screen and sharing it with other people um, is just magical. And seeing how that has changed, like you mentioned, I saw Conjuring a couple of days ago and sure the crowd like it was half full, the theater, which was nice. The crowd was pretty quiet, but I saw so many phones popping up constantly. It's like, why can't you just focus on the movie? <laughs> Why does it have to become this thing? And it's just, we mentioned it earlier with Pain and Glory. You, you watch the movie, it's, it's, it's done, that's it, bye. I've seen it, doesn't matter anymore. Let's not talk about it, let's not digest it in any way. It's just lost. And, and, and this one is, no, movies can affect you. Movies can change you. Movies can be powerful, the most powerful medium in my in my opinion it's the most complete one that's how i've always seen it because it is everything it is writing it's performance it's costumes it's it's wonderful um, and the final montage of just him seeing all the cut kisses from the beginning because there's that there was an actual thing like kisses weren't seen as a as person as pornographic in movies in the early days and if they were shown in like churches or parish cinemas uh, they were like, no, we're not showing this. Even nowadays, it's super hard to have some people get away with those things, which actually makes me uh, one of the weirdest movie going experiences was a uh, little tangent. But in 2013, I believe, they were doing a drive-in at the behind the church, behind the church where I'm living. And it was connected, like people who were programming it. I think there was a priest and two other people. <laughs> and one of the priests, he was great because he loved like weird genre movies and he showed Killer Joe <laughs> to an audience of, of, of like church going people and folks. And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's a dark movie. And the ending is a, is a horrible, horrible uh, 
like minor spoilers, but like no, okay, no, no spoilers, no spoilers. It's horrible though. It's horrible. It's a horrible sexual act <laughs> shown on the screen. And I was just savoring this, just thinking, wow, that's bold. And those are the like those are the type of, of things that only happen if you're going to the movies, be it a driving or the cinema. And you're never going to get that at home. You're going to get smaller stories. You're going to get interactions with people who are there with you. But it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I think this film, like watching this in the current context of like film and the conversation around film, like it did undeniably miss like, other than maybe like what the MCU, that sense of community around film and just truly getting lost in the film is kind of dead, which is sad. I mean, like, no matter what film it is, there's some power in cinema. I just went and saw, you know, Spear Untamed, number one for a Taylor Swift song that wasn't in the fucking film. But number two, because like, I just love cinema. I love theater. I mean, I love going to the cinema and it's just, it feels like with every film, no matter how good or bad it is, like, I, I, I think it's partly everyone's just trying to be a critic and everyone's trying to get likes, which is sad and including us. I mean, it's just, it depends how you view films and it's just, it's very, I think some of that magic of cinema has been lost, but I also think viewing stuff from home the past year has sucked. And this like film really made me realize how much I hate it. Like you lose not just the community aspect, but just that ability to get lost, just watch it on a laptop. When David Lynch went on the podcast and said you can't watch a film on your fucking phone i really think maybe he was onto something we should have listened to david there and said this won't work let's just take a year off of cinema let's watch all the old shit on criterion channel and then we'll go back to the theaters all together i think maybe no- david was onto something you want to hear something blasphemous go ahead i watched apocalypse now on my phone on a train and it was like the most evil thing i've ever done <laughs> because they couldn't I really wanted to watch it and I had like a freaking long ass train ride and it wouldn't work on my laptop like even a laptop is better than your phone but it would the the wi-fi on the train is just not loading and I just fucking watched apocalypse now back in the seat with my phone like this and I was like well there goes (laughs) there goes the last two fans who stayed through the portrait and parasite conversation bye guys Mm yeah yeah uh, they need to play that in a theater soon so I can watch it as God intended because worst worst cinema sin I've done <laughs> I was like, I just I'm sad that my local theater closed like they were closing but they closed like three weeks after let's say COVID started so they never got to really close like they had their final selection which number one how this film is not a theater's final like film that they go out on I have no idea how like gross miss like gross misjudgment on how they put Casablanca as their last screening fuck off um but like they never got they closed and they never got their final like two weeks of release or whatever that they were going to do and like none of my other theaters around me really like do retrospectives I really wish I had a place that like showed older films because like I would love to see this on the big screen and I'd love to see all these films on the big screen these all these old films but just like none of them get shown on the big screen anymore when the Bytown Cinema in Ottawa was closing we all thought it was like permanently but they got like bought by somebody thank god so like they're going to be reopening under like a new business but their final showing was like two weeks and they ended theirs with songs because it was the very first movie that they played so it's like the very first movie that opened and it was the very last movie that opened I thought that was really like sweet um but yeah the, the, that cinema parody so it totally fit in with that goal we I watched it like they the way my theater did it is they picked like 
popular stuff that like broke records like like talk to her and Amoros Peros and um Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon and things like that which is a lot of fun there's all stuff I hadn't seen before Parasite Moonlight blah 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 they, they had a good a good final run which I guess is not the final run anymore kind of but not really um yeah so rich people please buy some indie cinemas so we can still have them because they're not a business <laughs> specifically keep them in the theaters amc please don't buy it and just put like mortal Kombat yeah. in there i really don't need that in my life but like if you I, want to buy want, like a rich ass person who just loves cinema and is like i'm gonna buy this theater and then we'll still do that like, i'm sure there are some rich people who are like that like i don't know who bought the buy town but i love whoever it is um and they like said that they're gonna keep it the way it is yeah i mean even like amc and stuff i know over the um what should we call it quarantine the ones that were open like and even recently that like when they just first reopened and there's only like two movies out they had like a screen dedicated to showing i know they showed top gun and they showed the fast and furious films and like even i just like just keep one screen where you just cycle out old films i don't care what they are and just like do that i just i want old cinema and theaters because that's where it's meant to be seen i'm not rich enough yet i've not married rich to where i can have my own personal home theater once i do that i don't care you know do whatever you want amc but for now put these films in there yeah that's the dream of having your own personal cinema it's like showing everything you want mm -hmm. and that's the, the other depressing thing like it's something i never considered a, a few years ago but i became friends with a, with a projectionist actually a friend of mine he's like five six years older than me so he's not he's not a 60 something um, but he was telling me that like the business is tragic, at least in the way that it works here in Italy. And you need, he told me for, for a good screening, you need almost half of the full theater full to pay up for the expenses and everything. And I was thinking, oh, wow. So all the times it was just me and my friend in the cinema. Just we, we are making them go bankrupt. Um, and, that, and that's when you, when you realize you do need, you do need Marvel. You do need Disney, which is horrible, but it's only thanks to them that we can also afford to watch other movies that no one else would on the big screen. Um, that's probably the most depressing thought of the day, but yeah, it's that's unfortunately how it has to be. And I'm, 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 I don't even know how you would, I think something that has to change. I don't know how it is actually in Canada and in the US, but here cinema, is this necessarily look up to, which is a shame considering the heritage that we have in our history. But that's the thing, it's like, they, when you study history at school, no one mentions cinema. <laughs> it's not even seen as an art. Uh, so yeah, sorry, when you study art, not history. When you study art or art history, it's never mentioned. It's always like, ah, you get to barely even get to the music. So it doesn't matter to them. Um, it's, it's more about the entertainment and that side of things. Like even making short films and things like that, it's always kind of like, yeah, just your, your little hobby that you're doing. It's never seen as something more. And I think that has to change, like the potential for people. Because I, I do believe if, like Alina, you said this, this was super hard to, to find and it wasn't even a full version. I think uh, access mm -hmm. to classic cinema and showing it in a way that's positive um, because so many like teen movies and teen shows <laughs> have like oh I think it was 
13 reasons why were they shit on 2001, right? Or something like that. It's like, sure, okay, okay, let's let's continue this thing. Like we have a, a, a classic Italian comedy here where they shit completely on Battleship Potemkin. So it's like, okay, sure, why not? And it becomes this, this thing where like old movies are boring, black and white sucks, blah, 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 blah. Marvel is king. If things have to change. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it is about knowledge. It is about education. Um, something. I, I feel like so much of it, it's just that it's like indie cinema is like very inaccessible. Like people just go to like, in Canada, our version of it is like Cineplex, and that's where all the Marvel shit plays. And like those yeah. are always packed. But like the the big blockbusters, and like in Ottawa, we have two indie cinemas, and like that was a that's Ottawa's quite small, even though we're the capital. Like that that's a that's surprising that we have two because I would go there. I didn't like the other one. I'm sorry to the Mayfair, but I just I went there to see Rocky Horror live, and it was just like too anxiety inducing for me. And then I just like never went back. I was just like, I cannot handle it. I cannot handle the popcorn. So like, maybe if I saw like a regular screening, I would like it. But I would go to the Bytown because that one is like calm. It's nice. It's like mostly like older people. Um, and like, yeah, whenever I would go to like random obscure shit, I would always see like the same people. Um, it was like really rare to see it like super packed. And like the best, the biggest screenings I've seen were Uncut Gems. Because all these like random people are like, hey, this is an Adam Sandler movie. We love Adam Sandler. So all these like new people came there because it wasn't playing at Cineplex. Like I remember like hearing the Bytown tweeting about like all these people kept calling them like, how do we get tickets? How do we go to this? Because no, all of the people who went to see Uncut Chems had never been to that theater before because Adam Sandler movies don't usually play at the fucking indie cinema. And yeah, the other one that I saw that was like fucking packed was Parasite and like that happened to like all the indie cinemas and like they kept adding like more dates and more dates and more dates and it was always like sold out whenever they like showed it but most of the other ones are not like that and it's really a shame that there's just something that's like preventing like the average person from going to see movies that would play in indie cinemas because if you go to the indie cinema you love movie you're not going there randomly I think it's difficult because I think like genuinely though people when they go and see a film it's not like a matter of getting them in the door I think they just genuinely don't like that like they don't like indie cinema they don't like cinema that make them think or that's slow they just find it boring shout out to my high school senior class English class that I forced to watch City Lights I convinced the teacher I was like let's do a chaplain like fuck it fuck them they won't like it but who cares and everyone hated it except for me I had a great time they were all so bored on their phones but like obviously chaplain and silent films a little bit different but like I remember I worked at a theater when the lighthouse came out and it was a popular like mainstream theater a main chain and people hated it they walked out and said this is so boring and stupid and it's a black and white and who cares um I think like generally like you mentioned 13 reasons why he leaves during the opening credits of 2001 a space odyssey hating it but like i genuinely think that's probably what happens i think people genuinely just like don't care and they don't like it because it doesn't have like the rock flying in and blowing shit up um which i mean mm-hmm. all credit to the rock we love him but like i i think just the society ultimately has changed to the point where like cinema is no longer really a thing Alina, I will say, I have a feeling if you went to that theater for things other than Rocky Horror Picture Show Live, it probably would have been a little bit more quiet and a little bit more normal. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into because I'd never seen it before and I didn't know that was a thing. And my friends were like, hey, let's watch this for Halloween. And I thought I was just going to a regular screen. I was like, what the fuck is happening? I can't do this. Did it have like the Um, live people there doing it? 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that like the the actor itself is fine. I just did not like the crowd. Um. Yeah. I I don't know. I just prefer buy time because like the seats are better. I just felt like the selection was better. I'm so sorry for shitting on the Mayfair, but I don't know. I just liked the buy time program better. Sure. Like it just hits. It hits different. They're di- they're they're the same, but they're different. Yeah. See, I almost picked Rocky Horror for this today, so that's a good thing I didn't. Because also that local theater that closed was where they did Rocky I Horror. Liked it. They did Rocky Horror every month <laughs> live at midnight, and I would go and it'd be so much fun. And you just yell shit, it'd be great. But now they closed. They also did the room. They did or, yeah, the room I every would month. Have, I, yeah, that, yeah, that's what the Mayfair is the exact same as that. I would have liked it if my parents had told me. <laughs> sure. I think like because I was just like very unexpected. I think if I knew what I was going into, I would have like okay. But it just like kind of ruined it for me because I was like, I this is I have anxiety. I can't do this without working in like preparation. What do you see? That you was my favorite thing is I wouldn't tell my friends anything like, oh, we're going to this. Cause then also like before the showing at my local one, they have a tradition where like if you're new, you stand up and they spank you in front of everyone. So I just love yeah, like they do off. that. Yeah, I, I love all my friends. I love being like, hey guys, let's just go see this movie. Guess what? <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> I wish they had things like that here. I really do. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's super like, oh, it's, it's, you go to the theater and you go to the movies and you just shut up and sit down. And they'd love to 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 live, <laughs> live one of those things. We were almost going to go to the um, to the room in London. We were made like the screening and everything, but then COVID hit. Yay. Um, and there's actually in the UK, remember, there's mm-hmm. some chains that do have classic movies shown here and there and i i oh i'll never forget they were recording a show blue velvet on monday and i had the tickets and on sunday they closed everything down i was just like oh those are good memories but i'm 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 hopeful that those things will come back um right now they're showing wonka why movies in the cinema which is they're doing a whole retrospective in a bunch of cinemas in Italy. And apparently it's going well, so that's good. I, I, I think right now there's, there's this whole wave of just, it's, it's like we've missed it. We've missed going to the movies. So that's very good. I don't know how much it will last. I, I'm positive we're going to end up just focusing once again on the big blockbusters. But yeah, if I had a lot of money, I'd love to just have constant showings of classics. Like nothing pre nineteen ninety, <laughs> I don't know, or two thousand, just classics, classics every day, every week. Team post. Yeah, <laughs> like the like the new Beverly. The new Beverly looks like a wonderful cinema. I'd love to visit it once yeah. in uh, in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's so showing classics and film and prints. Like ah oh, yes. Well, yeah. If you live in Los Angeles, you have like plenty of op- people who live in Los Angeles. Don't know how, how well they have it. They have everything. They have like a theater on every corner that's showing everything. Oh. It's great. Dream dreams are made of that. Same thing with Toronto. Like the people in Toronto don't know how good they have it with like TIFF and all their cinemas. And like I have two. I don't have a lot to choose from. Like, I don't even have that anymore because I moved home. Man, I need to get back to Ottawa because like this sucks. The only I don't know what is in Belleville, but I don't think we have an indie cinema in fucking Belleville, Ontario with forty thousand goddamn people. It's not a thing. So I'm going to be stuck with like Cineplex. I'm not going to be able to see all the cool shit everyone else is seeing. Um, so I feel like, like, oh my God, our theaters are not open again, like 
for this entire past year, Ontario, it's like open, close, open, close, open, close, open, close. And right now we've been closed for like quite a while. I haven't been to the cinema since December. It's been closed since then. And we're not opening till like July, maybe, because mm. our premiere is stupid. And I feel like I'm going to still be here in July and I'm not going to even, I'm not going to be able to like experience all the like fun stuff coming back because it's just going to be, I don't know, Fast and Furious 9 or 10 or whatever the fuck we're on. That's how I felt when I visit because every summer I used to spend in Montana with family and it was a town of a hundred people and they had one theater that had two people who worked it. The capacity was maybe 20 people and they just showed one movie a week, whatever the most mainstream movie that came out like a month ago, they would finally get it and it'd play for one week. And then every Friday it switched. That's how I felt. I was like, okay, I really don't need to see like, you know, whatever the most popular film is. I really just kind of want to see like, I think at the time I was like, I want to just see Whiplash. Like, can I just see Whiplash, please? But, <laughs> You're asking for too much. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a small Montana in town, yeah. They don't really care about that. <laughs> I'm happy they're not showing classic movies again this time around when they've opened cinemas because it was exactly what Alina said. It was just Fast and Furious 7, like like last summer when they reopened for like one month. It was like, Fast and Furious 7. And the, 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 all the Marvel movies and, and Doctor Sleep. <laughs> For some reason, they showed Doctor Empire Sleep. Strikes Back. Empire Star Strikes Wars, Back was yeah. a big one last year. Yeah. It's also usual suspects. <clears throat> so at least they're not doing that. They're actually showing new releases, which is good. I know the Regals um, here, they had like half of them did the most popular, but then half of them did like really small, like, well, not really small, but like more of like the quality picks. Like, I know Call Me By Your Name was on the list, but, like, they had a bunch mm. of them that was, like, really good. I think Pain and Glory might have even been on the list now that I'm thinking wow. about it. But I wasn't going to go back to the theater at that point. But now I would. So, hey, Regal, you want to do that? I'll pay money. <laughs> Now's the time. Yeah. Okay. And that's going to be about it for this episode of Clapper Casters. We're not going to do any recommendations. This entire episode was recommendations. The one thing I will mention is the second Clappercast film spotlight. The film we are highlighting that features diversity either on screen or off screen is 2013 Stranger by the Lake. Um, it's about a lake where all the gay men go just to kind of see each other and then like have sex in the forest. And there's a guy who goes there um, and he finds someone he's really interested in, but the guy might have a darker side. Um, I will quickly say this is, again, if you missed last week, this is not like a full review or anything. We're not going to go long on this. Um, but this was when we were planning this series, uh, Paul really wanted this on the list. And this really fits in with happily sequin in a blue room Monday of just like, this is basically just porn at some points, but it's, you know, it's good. <laughs> there is quite a bit of good um, emotions here about desire and about like life. And there's this friendship that at the heart of the film, which I really love between this guy and this older guy who just kind of like sits on the side of the lake and just chats about life. Like, I don't know. I enjoyed this one. I don't think it was like a masterpiece or anything, but I enjoyed it. Do either of you have anything to say about Stranger by the Lake very quickly? I cannot find it, but I will say I feel like Paul needs to get laid just purely based on his yes. choices these past couple weeks. I'm like somebody have sex with our friend Paul. <laughs> He's never going to hear me say that because he doesn't listen no. to us. <laughs> but he definitely needs it. Like this is a cry for help but at if this any, point. If the first yeah, time was funny. The second friends... time was weird. The third time was like, oh, okay, I get what this is. And the lot. fourth time is just like, sad. Maybe... Hey, but yeah, I know some, listen, I know some of Paul's friends watch this or listen to this. So please do not tell him I said that or else he'll be mad at me again. Thank you. 
But if you're one of Paul's friends, help us out. Get him laid, please. <laughs> it's a PSA for Paul. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, it's been a few days since I've seen this. I would almost say that I loved it. Um, I, I, I found this to be, it kind of blew me away. I didn't know what to expect. There was like, I would say this and Weekend are the last two major um, gay movies that I'd left to watch. And this one was completely different from what I expected. I didn't even know this was going to be almost an Hitchcockian thriller in a way that's not really that important even because there's this whole murder mystery happening, but it's kind of like on the, it's like, yeah, that's important, but up to a point. The main thing is the relationship. It's, it's falling in love. Um, and it's fascinating. This came out in 2013, which is the same year when Nymphomaniac came out, which is also a movie that features a lot of unsimulated sex. But both of them use it in very different ways, but both very effectively, in my opinion, because it, it, it's pornographic in, in, I mean, it's never, ex it's, uh, you know, Nymphomaniac is never particularly exciting. And I think that's kind of the point of the movie. It just kind of like it. It's just what they're doing. That's that's life. That's sex. It's it really destroys it. Um, Lars von Trier really destroys it. But in this one, it's incredibly sensual. And there's actually a wonderful review. Like I highly recommend you go follow this this user, um, Sally Jane Black on Letterboxd, because she's she's absolutely terrific in the way she writes. Um, and she was describing the way this is shot, like the bodies, they're, they're beautiful bodies in ways that porn usually isn't. Um, and I, I found it to be incredibly effective um, and incredibly sweet. Like uh, you said it, Carson, it's the relationship between the protagonist and this, this lonely man on the beach was absolutely like the, the emotional core of the movie for me. Every, I, I thought it, we were not going to see him again. And whenever he came back, I was like, yes, another scene, they're, they're together again, they're gonna chat. And like, I, I haven't been able to read a lot of different analysis of this movie or people interpret it. But for me, this really did encapsulate not only the summer feeling, that this was a great way to start the horribly hot weather that we're, <laughs> that we're in right now in mid-June. But especially this, this was incredibly touching and sad on just like the feeling when you fall in love with someone for no real reason. And your brain is going... Maybe maybe there's something wrong. You know, maybe maybe there's something <laughs> so, so so good about that person, and yet there's the need, and you're just drawn, and you just want to be with them. And I think it captures that that feeling absolutely perfectly. And using a murder mystery as a framing for all of that, I think is genius. And I was reading that they shot an alternate ending for this, and I'm really happy they didn't use it. I love how this ends. It's the only logical way it was going to end. Everything else would have been like wrong. Even if it was right thematically or anything, just no, this is how it had to end. And the more I'm talking about it, the more I love it. Um, I, I, I really dug it. I really dug it a lot. I was just thinking, speaking to the queer perspective, there's this like really interesting um, stereotype about gay men that like, it's not about the relationship, it's simply about sex. And I think this film really tackles that as obviously you have this mm -hmm. situation where like sex is very casual. They're all literally just going and like having sex in the forest together. Like who cares? Proper singers. Yeah, but then you also have this element where he falls in love. And like, I think it's a very interesting kind of warring of ideals of like, have why do you have sex? Why? Do, what does that mean? Where does love come into it? I really appreciate this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's not as good as Tomboy, but I still like, 
to be clear, really appreciate this film. Um, yeah, so that's going to be it for this episode of ClapperCast. Let's go around, since there's no recommendations, and just say where we can find everyone on social media and where we can find their work. Nick, why don't you start us off? You can follow me on Twitter at NickyGran97 and on Letterboxd at Nicolo Grasso, and you can watch my short films and videos on YouTube and Vimeo at Enjoy the Movies. Uh, Lena, are you there? I am at Lena Falls on Twitter and Letterboxd. Where I am mostly. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterbox, just Carson Tamar. Uh, feel free to rate, subscribe, like, all that good stuff. We have new episodes coming out every single Wednesday. Um, we'll be back next week talking about the newest stuff and new releases. If this is your first episode, that is what the show is. But, you know, Mental Health Week, we're going to do it. Uh, you can find the writings on all the films at www.clapperltd.co.uk. We're on all the social medias. We're everywhere. We have Uncut Gems podcast every Friday. Plenty going on. Support the Patreon. Write to us at clappercast at gmail.com. And that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema.